This is First Class Counselors, another innovative podcast brought to you by Camp Hacker. First Class Counselors is dedicated to young and up-and-coming camp mavericks. By equipping and empowering our on-the-ground staff, camp directors can rest easy knowing that our campers are having the true life-changing experience that parents expect. Find our show notes and our blog for camp leaders and professionals at camphacker.tv. First Class Counselors is brought to you by Ultimate Camp Resource. Ultimate Camp Resource proudly offers more than 1,000 free descriptions of games, skits, songs, and other camp-related activities to make your summer fun and rewarding for campers of all ages and abilities. If you're interested in camp-themed stickers or apparel, visit their camp store at itsacampthing.com. That's itsacampthing.com. Welcome to First Class Counselors, where we give camp counselors insider tips and advice on how to make a camper's summer the best it can be. And no matter what generation of camp staff you are, or even if you're brand new to the camp world, we want to foster a a mindset of growth and self-development because we know that that's what's going to make a great cabin counselor, or dare we say it, a first-class counselor. And that's why we do what we do here on First Class Counselors to empower counselors to be the the best they can be, to give the campers the best experience that they deserve. My name is Oliver Gregan. My pronouns are he, him. I'm the director of camping services at the at YMCA Camp Westwood with the Pawtucket YMCA in Coventry, Rhode Island. We are a rebuilding day camp that plans to introduce overnight camp again in 2025. And my name is Matt Wilford. My pronouns are he, him, and I'm the executive producer of podcasting and a consultant with Go Camp Pro. So today's topic, a new age of campers has taken over they are known as gen alpha and they are pretty much making up every single one of your campers uh matt's going to break down what years they were born in just a minute but these campers have grown up in an age of technology an age of social justice and an age without saturday morning cartoons which is detrimental to your development if you ask me (laughs) if you did not grow up watching saturday morning cartoons like come on you missed out on some really important life lessons, but what makes them different? What makes them tick? Dare I say TikTok? But most importantly, how are we (laughs) going to be first class counselors for them? So Matt, give me the details. Who are these kids at camp? What's their generation? Mm. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to derail us here. When, when you said Saturday morning cartoons, what cartoon came to mind right away for you? This will just age us right at the start. Okay. Um, first off is I always think this is a weird one, but I was a huge fan of Jackie Chan adventures. So I know really off the cuff there, but I really enjoyed it. Um, I was also Pokemon Yu-Gi-Oh. Those are big ones for me as well. And I will say the greatest cartoon ever created, just one of the best written, one of the best style is avatar, right? Like, okay. Yep. I think hands down, as far as a creation, it is a beautiful form of art, a beautiful form of storytelling. It hits on so many different arcs, character development. If you really get down to like the nitty and gritty, it, it is different than other Saturday morning cartoons. Mm. Um, I think it's just phenomenal. Um, also, Dragon Ball Z. You know, you got to come uh, or whatever yeah. it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't pretend like you don't know. Yeah, for sure. For, for me, I... So, like, I think I was... was 
I hit Looney Tunes like late. Like Looney Tunes have been out for a while when I started watching it. So like Roadrunner, Wiley Coyote, for me that was like true Saturday morning cartoons. But I, I hit Pokemon as well. But for me, it is Recess. There's, I don't know if if that was a big show in the states, but Recess for me was like I I could watch both episodes of Recess. And then one half of the weekenders before I had to like sprint down the street to get my bus. Um, and I will say I, I started rewatching Recess and it is amazing. I rec- highly recommend it. And I also watched Shrek, the first Shrek movie. I know this has like nothing to do with it. This is a huge non sequitur. But go back and watch the first Shrek movie, people. It is full of like full on laugh out loud moments. Primo, primo. Millennial yeah, stuff a, there. A, a moment for millennials, though, is right now you can definitely tell, like, I grew up like a CW kid, and Matt, you definitely grew up as, like, a Cartoon Network kid. Because not only do you have, like, your, your favorite cartoons and stuff, but you have, like, the networks that were just dominant in your life, right? Like, you have Cartoon Network kids, you have CW kids, yeah. you have, like, PBS kids. They're their own breed. But, like... <laughs> But that's like another way to like break down millennials. It's like, what was your Saturday morning cartoon channel totally. to go to? And like yeah, you could yeah, click yeah. around, but you had yeah. one. So like, uh-huh. I know a little bit more about Matt now because I know he he grew up on that Cartoon Network grind. Probably did some Johnny Bravo. That's why his hair is is coiffed the way it is. You know, <laughs> I did watch Johnny Bravo a little bit. That show is very <laughs> problematic when you go back to it now. Anyway, (laughs) uh, anyway, Generation Alpha. uh, So Gen Alpha will not, if they're watching these cartoons, they're watching them on a streaming service. They were born uh, 2010 to 2024. So the oldest Gen Alphas right now, just to put this into context that everyone can understand, are 14 years old. Right, so they're the 14-year-olds. I think that math is right. Right, they're coming to camp. They're 14. That's Gen Alpha. And to give you kind of a little bit more context, 2010 was the year that the iPad was first introduced. So, for reference, the iPad 2010, when I was 20 years old, the iPad was first introduced. Um, so, you know, this generation is most notably impacted by two things. One, the global pandemic. Um, they some of them won't know a world before the the COVID nineteen pandemic, and they are also the most digitally immersed generation, and they are going to fully grow up with the influence of AI being a thing. For most of them, for the ones that aren't like fourteen, for the ones that are you know born in twenty ten, um, and you know or born late sorry later than that. They're going to go through school with AI, which is a whole nother podcast. I've been listening to podcasts about education and AI, and it's it's wild out there. So, um, so th- this is a, a, a new generation, and we need to be ready for them at camp. So, in this episode, we're going to talk about just some more key identifiers of Gen Alpha. We'll talk about what the relationship, um, how how Gen A. Gen A, Gen Alpha is different than the other generations and kind of what that means. And um, then finally, of course, how this all applies to the camp experience. We'll, we'll touch on that throughout, but at the end, we'll really hammer it home and what, how do counselors need to be ready for Gen Alpha? There's a lot of conversations going on in the industry about how camp directors need to be ready for Gen Alpha, but we really want to narrow down on what you as counselors need to know about this group of campers. And I'm sure this will not be the last episode where we talk about this, but let's get started key indicators gen alpha oliver what what are we seeing with this generation 
Yeah, I think you're going to hear us repeat a lot of those things that you just talked about, at least as the formative stuff for Gen Alpha, right? And the big one you're going to hear, and you probably have heard a bunch of times, it's tech, 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 right? And it's conference season coming up for us camp professionals. And if there's not sessions on Gen Alpha, I can guarantee you next year there's going to be some. Matt and I just might be a little ahead of the curve. But the first one is tech, 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 right? We know that this generation is growing up with technology and what that can do for them. And, you know, I'll, I'll dive into a little bit, but I want to get some of the other things out of the way, too. So the next thing is we know that they have a shortened attention span. Um, we know that most are testing with an attention span between four to seven seconds, um, which is actually um, faster than um, our their predecessors, Gen Z, who are coming in around 11 seconds of an attention span. So you can already see two generations have a significantly shortened attention span. And millennials, I think, were coming in around like 17 or like 20-something seconds. Where you know, it, it, And it's just exponentially getting smaller and smaller every generation. So that's important to think about. How long can you hold attention for, right? Um, the next thing is streamlined. This is huge for them. Convenience conquers all. If I can order it on Amazon, if I can look it up on Google, this is what is most important. I, we, They don't watch Saturday morning cartoons. They just watch cartoons. It's on Netflix. It's streamed. Um, there's a big controversy for big sports people out there. Uh, like the NFL just did a, a football game where like people pay to watch it on regular cable television, but they said this playoff game is only going to be available on stream. So if people wanted to watch it, they had to pay an additional $6. And the reason why this is happening is because they know that people are going to be moving to streaming and um, that's going to be happening with those younger generations. So it might be frustrating for us older millennials. We're like, I don't want to pay $5 for this. But for someone who is Gen Alpha or maybe even Gen Z, a little bit older, but you know, buying TV, it's not an issue for them. They're already streaming. This, this, the day is gone. Well, it's also, it, it's also the fact that like time, when you think about it, time is not a like qualifier on something. There's no Saturday morning. Like you said, Saturday morning cartoons doesn't matter. They're, they're, they're just cartoons now. And I think it's important to emphasize that, that time does not mean what it once did. So things like patience, things like, um, you know, the attention span, it totally makes sense. If I can get the answer and the information, I, I think about it like, you know, when we got the calculator, when you started in math class, when calculators, I, I'm, we're not that old folks out there that we the didn't CIA start with board. calculators. Yeah. But like, you know, there's always the argument like, well, why do I need to know my times tables if I have a calculator? Um, I think that this generation, they were also have smart speakers that are in their lives from birth literally from birth, like smart speakers have been out for a while, but now they're, you know, they're answering questions and, you know, AI, you don't need to wait for anything. So any, any scene of like time being a limiting factor is a huge inconvenience that'll just frustrate this generation. You think about it this way, when you were growing up, even Gen Z, if you needed to ask a question, yeah, sometimes you might Google it on a phone or on a laptop or something like that, or you would shout to mom and dad, Hey, you know, how far away is New York from us? And mom and dad would be like, yeah, three hours or whatever, you know, right. whatever the distance was. But now parents are sitting in their house and all of a sudden their kid just randomly goes, Hey Google, Hey Alexa, how far is my phone just went off? Uh, how far <laughs> is New York? And then Alexa answers, not mom, not dad, not the adult in the house who has the knowledge to do it, but the, uh, 
but the Google or the Alexa smart device that's in the house. So think about that change too mm. of that. And we'll talk about relations in a little bit, but that change of relationship of uh, parental leadership figure in their life and their access to information. And that's a huge thing. Um, the next one is implicit assumption, right? Um, because they have access to so many answers so quickly, um, <clears throat> they generally accept that everyone's getting the same answer. Right. So if they search something, the top or the one page on Google that shows up, that's everyone. Everyone is searching Google. And that first page on Google is the official answer that most people are getting. So that implicit assumption is really important. But Matt's going to touch on this, which is really important, is that we are in front of one of the most diverse generations of our lifetime. So you have these incredibly unique people who believe in everyone being an individual but the answer they are getting when they go into their research is typically the same. This is probably going to be a big challenge for them moving forward of how do they keep that uniqueness? How do they keep that individuality? But how do they also take on the information they're doing? Because this is also the generation that is going to be faced with some of the largest amounts of misinformation on the internet ever. Right. Um, Whatever your political bias is, there, you know, we have an election year coming up. 2024 is one of the largest election years across the world. So it's not just the United States um, and it's not just several other countries, but there are the most democratic elections happening in the world this year. And the biggest fear going into them by political correspondence is, is the information getting out there true to people? Right. Um, and that's huge. And how do you prove it's true? You know? There's so many ways to sneakily put things on the internet that aren't true or, a, 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 you know, something that's not correct. And that's how we just talked about it. This generation is getting their answers. They're going to the internet. So control over that information is going to be a huge thing when it comes to their growth and their understanding of the world that's going on. Um, <clears throat> the next thing is entertainment and stimulation is provided. It's not created. So, um, if they need to be entertained for an hour or two, they pick up their phone. They right. get to watch TikTok videos. Um, there is no boredom. There is no time period which they cannot be stimulated, right? As long as they have a decent internet connection to their phone, their brain can get the dopamine hit that they want or the serotonin that they want in order to feel entertained. So that's hugely different. Think about it when maybe if you're Gen Z, it might be a little bit tougher, but for us millennials or and older, there were points in time that you were bored. You needed to find a way to entertain yourself. And that meant walking around the house to find a book. That meant waiting for your Saturday morning cartoon to come on. It meant going outside and throwing rocks at a tree until, I don't know, you hit the center of the tree the right way, right? These This feeling of absentness is not going to be true for this generation. It, they Or it's not going to be as common for them. So that's important as well. The next thing is they are slow growers, much like Gen, Gen Z and millennials have had. Life is starting later. So this means cute, like our mile markers in life, their first job, when they learn to drive a car, even their first drink, even like troublesome behavior. These things are all happening later in life. They're delaying it, right? However, they're also becoming more mature quicker. They have access to information so because of that, they can have more articulate conversations and they can make more decisions. And I'll talk about the decision making that this generation is capable of uh, later on in the show. But I think that's really important for us to understand that 
um, that, that they're not at a lack of information. They're just at a lack of experience, which is a big thing that we're going to talk about. I, I think talking about is important. And then we've talked about COVID already. So we know that by our general measurement, by standard of education, this generation is, is pretty behind. Um, most estimates say that they're about 18 months or 12 to 18 months behind where kids at the same age were at their time. However, we know that this generation is consuming information faster, right? So it may not be the expected learning that we think of their algebra or their calculus or this specific English curriculum that we have. They might not be ahead or matching what previous generations did in those categories, but their overall intake of information is much, much, much higher than previous generations because they have so much. And then lastly is they still do, like Generation Z, um, have an implicit safety and cautiousness to them, right? Um, they uh, they believe like things should generally be safe. They should not have to worry about their well-being. They're not going to take as many large risks for themselves uh, in like a physical kind of um, putting themselves out there. Um, however, however, this generation has also learned that taking risks um, in other categories is sometimes a good thing. So much like Generation Z, um, they are willing to, you know, take a risk with where they may put their money, right? That they believe in assets and putting investments in and hopefully seeing that grow. So it's a, that's a pretty cool thing. Um, they're pretty, um, <clears throat> they have a lot of deciding factors in our economy. And we'll talk about that hopefully later, but um, that's just some key identifiers for some of the things that you're going to have to look for when you're working with Gen Z or sorry, with Gen Alpha this summer in your campers. So Matt, what do you, what do you think of some of those things that, that I was able to find kind of defining what Gen Alpha is? I think I think a lot of these are bang on, and we'll we'll put some links to some of our research in the show notes so that you can also you can double check us. We don't want to be a source of misinformation, certainly. Um, but I'll just touch on a couple more things. I think you know knowing so Gen Alpha is being raised primarily by millennials. It's not exclusively millennials, but so thinking about what their household influence is, because I think that millennials are. Um, we, uh, me being a millennial, um, we have an interesting relationship with technology because we grew up, we grew up without the smartphone. Um, whereas Gen Z mostly grew up with a smartphone, right? So we, I think millennials, um, we just, we're, we're, we weren't fully immersed in it. So I think we have a little bit of a, you know, um, a helpful boundary setting. I think that that this is an overgeneralization for sure. But I think you know, thinking of their households, Gen Alpha is going to be on a really big spectrum on their relationship with technology too. Some will be very dependent, but I also I have friends with kids that are that are very strict with technology use at their households, and that you know they're not using smart speakers, they're not using screens until the kids are two years old. But some I know are, are using them right away, and if there's a huge debate on that, I'm not saying either is right or wrong, but no that the kids coming to camp, uh, it, it's important that we don't just assume that they all know everything about technology and are going to bring a phone or whatever, um, because that's not necessarily true for this generation. Now, what I noticed at camp was that the internet that they are exposed to is a largely unregulated one um, with <laughs> no real like checks and balances and a lot of easy ways to get around it. Like, yeah, there's YouTube kids and stuff like that, but man, oh man, the six-year-olds that were at camp this past summer knew a lot more than I knew as a six-year-old and were saying some things that I did not say 
until I was probably a 20 year old in some cases. So it, it was, it was wild that their, their knowledge is just really advanced, but that's also a good thing in a lot of ways. We'll, we'll get into that, but they just because it, information is truly at their fingertips, like no other generation, um, and their their choice in what to explore is also abundant and instant. Now, they might not explore those things in the right direction. And, and again, we'll we'll get into that as we go on. And, and our job is to like help them understand what misinformation is, or that they do have internal bias and those types of things, because they're not they're not viewing this advanced content with an advanced like frontal lobe in their brain that has like processing and reasoning and and understanding. So they're they're being influenced by things, and that's why we're seeing like the toxic influence of Andrew Tate and you know misogynists and and all of that kind of stuff become a real problem with kids because they don't have that discerning factor some adults don't either but the kids especially don't have that like developed brain to to be able to root out what is what is right and what is wrong um, and then we can't overstate it enough that the pandemic was just in core developmental time for them many uh, especially social developmental um set set up. So they're coming to camp. I, I don't know about you, Oliver, but there was there was something in the water in these past couple summers with kids at camp of just not knowing how to socialize. And and you know, some might say that it presented as like a lack of empathy, but I think it was just a, a general ignorance sometimes of social cues and, and what was what was right and what was wrong for what we would know that. So there was a lot of coaching that needed to happen this summer. And then the last one, um, I, I think it's really important to notice that they are they are living in an especially fraught time with a lot of existential crisis right now. Um, climate and economic anxiety, I think we haven't seen that uh, combined with you know multiple wars going on in the world. Um, you know, I think there's a lot going on for this generation that they again are being exposed to, like like not many other generations certainly you know we're not living in a world war right now but and we're not living in the the great depression and those kinds of things but between the pandemic the climate and where the economy is right now it is really a a big old stew of yuck that that gen alpha is like coming to terms with understanding that they have you know 70 years that they're going to be um existing in this so um there's a lot that that will happen with that so a lot that we need to be ready for yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about that relationship that Gen A or how Gen A is approaching relationships. And I think I'm I'm going to hit some things that we talked about before. And really, where I want to push our conversation is a little. You talked about kind of COVID and social, and this is one of the things that I personally have seen standing out with my own family, and that is a, a stronger family relationship that's formed due to COVID, right? For a long period of time, these younger kids were directly only with mom, dad, right? They're close family unit, right? That totally. didn't really break away, which is really kind of strange because if you think about it, this is a little bit similar to what it was a long, long time ago where like families were a more integrated unit. But we're really looking at a nuclear family, not so much of the family and the extended. So if we go back towards history, love drawing back a little bit of my, what I actually studied in college. But if we look back at our family units, pre-World War II, the family unit was extended family all under essentially one roof. They, we were sticking about as many cousins, aunts, uncles, grandma, grandpa in one house as possible. Now, post-World War II, we went to a nuclear family 
unit in most cases, right? That I'm generalizing the, this change in our soci, uh, sociological look in the Western area here in the United States. Mm-hmm. And, and it has changed a bit since then, but there's still that core desire, I think, for that nuclear family. And when COVID hit, it was your nuclear family. It was, you know, your parent and guardian, your children. And that was really it in a lot of cases. So they became really, really close. This strong family relationship, right? And the parent's ability to kind of be constantly watchful and wary about their child really creates this relationship of parents guarding their children, right? Um, whether it's from germs, right? Because now we have this this front of this idea that another pandemic can spur our at any moment, moment. So we always need to be on the guard for this, right? Which has created a, a, a world where that's a concern, right? And, yeah. and parents are worried about their children's safety at a microscopic level. Think about that. That's how how parents used to be. Yeah, come back when the come back when the light <laughs> turns, like when the lights turn on in the street. That's when you have to be back at the house. Right. You know. Now it's microscopic view of how their kids are being cared for. That is like we've talked about snowplow, helicopter parents, all these different things. We're now looking at like microscope parents. I will coin yeah, that yeah. term now. <laughs> um, get a well, little credit. And I think, I think too, think about how that translates to the, how kids are feeling, right? That if we're talking about the kids in our cabin, those are the ones they, they are depending on how their parents um, raise them, that's going to be the effect that they have. So if parents are extremely meticulous and risk averse when it comes to germs or anything like that, that is going to most likely be what presents at camp. So keep that in mind as we go through all these things. How is this going to affect the kids? Because you're right, Oliver, that, that a parent who is ex- – I, I have met parents who are out there through the, the pandemic who had a baby – like when we all thought that like you had to go home and wash your groceries, can you imagine like getting those like messages as a developing infant that the world was out to get you, man, oh man. If, and, and if that's how your parents reacted, no fault to them. So, um, but yeah, that, that is certainly going to have an effect on how they view risk and germs and all that yeah. stuff. Oh, hundred, hundred percent. I mean, you can't, you can't neglect a parent's care for their child. And I think, and that's going back to a little bit of what we said before, uh, this generation of kids, this gen alpha, their resource of information is the internet, right? Like they don't need to go mom and dad for that information anymore, but, but the internet does not protect them, right? The protector, the one who keeps them safe is mom and dad now. And that's the only relationship that they've formed. So for them, mom and dad are my safety net. They are the ones who are going to keep me safe. What they say safety-wise is is code. And because of that, they keep me away from all this dangerous stuff that's happening in the world because we became this strong nuclear unit during COVID, right? Hmm. Now, now the parents are going to send them to you at camp and the parent, A, has to put the trust in somebody else to now take that over. But now this child who has only seen mom and dad or was forced to see mom and dad as their protector during this dangerous time, now has to have someone new step in and become their protector and safe safe caregiver. And that's a challenge because what they've always known is mom and dad being that safety net. So just know when it comes to safety, right? This is an expectation of these kids that you as a counselor are going to have to uphold. 
Um, that's a huge thing. Huge, huge, huge thing. Um, okay, but I have wait, a lot wait. of points here. Hold on, hold on. I, I need to unravel this thread a little bit more, Oliver, because because okay. when we're talking about relationships and we're talking about like technology and parents, we cannot discredit or discount the effect that AI is going to have on these kids as well. There are already, I can't remember the website, but Travis Allison, who hosts the Camp Hacker podcast, showed me a website that is full of AI chatbots that are acting as kids' friends. And it literally, there, there's a slate where you can pick where it's like, oh, I want the jock to be my friend and it's going to react like that. I want um, uh, Deadpool to be my friend and it's going to talk to me like that. And I, I think that the variety there is cool and I think there's a lot that can be learned there. But what we need to be aware of is that some kids' friends are chatbots. And what a chatbot is, is by and large, at least where AI is right now, it is predictable. Um, it has measured controls on it that a chatbot will, unless you ask it to, or unless a kid consents to that chatbot, a chatbot's not going to be mean to them. It's going to be predictable. Um, it's going to act like it wants. You're going to have a lot of control over that as well. And then when they get to camp, they're going to have none of that. They're going to look at this other kid who's going to say something mean to them, and their brain is going to explode because the, because they have not had the ability. Yeah, maybe in school, they'll, they'll have that. But, you know, I think we can't discount the fact that the predictability of relationships at camp is, they are not predictable. And you're right, you're, they're being taken away from, hopefully, that their, their parents, um, no matter what that parental, you know, um, structure is at home, they're being taken away from that, again, another predictable relationship. Like you said, Oliver, they hopefully are the safety net for that kiddo. And then they're being taken away from technology that includes some of those predictable relationships, and they cannot escape from that. And that is wild to think about. And it means that we need to like we need to completely change the way that we not completely change, but we need to double down on the the, the coaching and the processing that we do when it comes to build helping kids build those friendships and relationships and be way more patient than we've ever been. This is not gonna be the generation where we can be like, okay, shake hands and deal with it. Because they're they're not gonna be able to get over conflict like that. Yeah. Do you think that like AI is just gonna replace like the imaginary friend? Ooh, that's a good question. I, uh, I let me consult my imaginary friend that I had growing up. Uh, I don't know. I, I honestly, don't, I, I, but I think, I think in terms of immediacy, I think yes, because I think that if you want to like role play that that other relationship, that's not a real person. This is the perfect, and, and you have a phone, you have the or whatever the ability to do that. I think, I think you have that. I think that's available to you, and your imaginary friend talks back to you now. And on the note of growing up later in life, like of markers, right? Your typical imaginary friend would fade around what? Six, seven. Right. But now with AI, if it's replacing the imaginary friend, there's no reason to think that that AI couldn't stay as a friend because it's an actual relationship, right? Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, that yeah, AI yeah. can be carried around in your pocket. It's just well, it's a one. It's a one. Yeah, and and you or you think it's a relationship too. That's different. I mean, yeah. let's not get into the definition of relationship. But I mean, yeah. you know, it, it gets wild when you think about 
even like the development of like sexual relationships and healthy, you know, like a healthy um, relationship towards like uh, sexuality and consent and those kinds of things. Because again, the internet is a bit of a dumpster fire when it comes to this and, and regulations just aren't moving as fast as technology developments are. So kids, kids are coming in with this like sense of, even false sense of maturity. I mean, if you think about it on the on the line of consent, right? The user, whether it's child or adult or whoever, forms whatever consent rules that that AI has to follow, right? Exactly. Which means that yeah. they're never actually giving, the AI is never giving consent, nor is the child ever asking for it. They're, they know what the consent rule is going to be and they can play to that and they can change what they want the consent to be. So now if I take that and I address it in real life, I can't control what somebody else's consent is going to be back to me. Right. So and that's good. That, that's going to be hard. That's going to be scary and frustrating. Right? So that what happens when a, like a child is used to talking to an AI or they're used to getting what they want from their computer friend or their online relationship. And now they have to go out into the real world where they can't manipulate those relationships to how they want. So that's an important, that's an important thing. Sorry. What, a little bit on a tangent there, but it's important to understand what, what seems like a small thing can have a very large effect down the road. And we see these in every generation, in every form. And in, right now we're at a point where we just try to predict what could possibly happen. Yeah. So let yeah. me get more into that relationships and, and some of the factors that choose and decide it. So uh, one thing to note is Gen Alpha is the largest generation on the planet right now. Um, where we love making babies, but we had a big population and our birth rate was still in the it's a positive, right? But our birth rate is also decreasing. So Gen Alpha may not be the top of this this bell curve, I guess is the best way to say it. It may not be the biggest generation. The next generation may be bigger than them. But we know that it's starting to cap, or at least we believe population-wise it's starting to cap, that we're not going to keep ex- exponentially growing as a population. Um, so it's, it's powerful to note that that number of people comes with an amount of power to it, whether it's spending power, whether it's voting power, um, it's decision-making. And we talk, we've talked about this before on the show, um, but we know what the internet did for Gen Z and how just being a voice on the internet when it came to election time or um, social movement, they had access to the internet. The Gen, Gen Z had power of voice and they were also a large generation. They were able to make significant impacts despite not having voting power in the 2020 election uh, here in the United States, um, which were maybe indicative to how that election went. So that's important to recognize that while Gen Alpha may still not have the right to vote coming up in future elections, for, you know, the next couple elections, they're still going to have the power of the internet behind them and the power of technology. So they have a deciding they have that ability to influence those things. So that's important um, just based off the size of their, of their generation. Right. Um, And seeing that they might take over Gen Z for spending. Gen Z is right now the largest spending generation. They're the most spending power. Um, They've, they've started taking that over as they've entered the, the work, um, the workplace. Um, The next thing to understand is parenting styles have changed, right? So millennial generation, it's more of a cooperative parenting style. They are allowing their children to make decisions as they are growing up. This is mostly because tech has given their children the ability to get information and therefore make informed decisions. And millennial parents are typically, as a parenting style, 
working with their children so that they can grow and make decisions. It's not a more dogmatic style of parenting that millennials or boomers or older generations may have gotten. So that's really important to understand because what it means is this generation is used to making decisions. They're not scared to make decisions. They've been trained on how to do it. They might be socially challenged to make decisions in group environments, but for their own personal wants, desires, and their path, that's a lot easier for them. So whatever direction they want to go, this, this generation alpha is going to be able to find their path, hopefully, is the belief a lot faster because they have the experiences coming at them and the information accessible to them to say, hey, I think this is what I prefer to do with my life, um, which is kind of a cool thing. Um, we might see them trying to input a themselves into the world a lot faster. And Matt talked about how the internet is this unregulated dumpster fire. We've already seen Gen Z, especially younger Gen Z, and we'll probably start to see older Gen Alpha now start to do things like starting a business online, right? Because that's essentially unregulated. And if they want to do some type of third party selling of products with a, you know, everybody who clicks this link, I get two pennies or whatever it might be, right? They're going to be starting those businesses to, you know, take advantage of their access to the internet, but also their abilities to make decisions and find an income source that works for them. So, um, and that, come, and that comes from a parenting style that has changed, right? That ability to give them a little bit more independence in, in their uh, decision-making. Um, and um, they have a faster pace for change, right? We've seen this in every generation, millennials. Uh, well, I mean, we can go all the way back to you know, baby boomers, but social change, um, economic policy change, all of these things are changing faster because of each generation moves quicker. We have access to technology. We have stronger communication styles. Um, we have this ability to um, learn information faster than anybody else. So we know that our pace is getting faster and faster. And because of that, we see more changing and therefore we're more okay with changing. So um, <clears throat> uh, that, that trained response for us is going to be, or for Gen Alpha, it's going to be really big because the generation, the generation after them will probably be just as acceptable to change, right? And this fast moving culture we'll have is we'll continue to move quickly. Um, the uh, <clears throat> next couple of things, I'll quickly get through this. They're a lot more health conscious as a generation. Millennials um, kind of started learning that processed foods and things like that are not always the best for people. Um, and we started changing our diet plans. Gen Z was also a huge advocate for this, but now we're starting to see um, healthier foods entering our environment, a desire for physical activity, but also a desire for a healthier environment. Matt's talked about how their cl climate change is a huge thing uh, for Gen Alpha, that it, it's important for them in their decision-making process and how they want the world to be. So th this health conscious goes for food, physical activity, the environment, and also, as Matt mentioned before, mental health. Um, they are one of the most uh, mentally attuned generations. In fact, if you go to a school, it's very strange um, you, I was with a teacher, uh, a few weeks ago in their classroom and, uh, a, I was going to call him a camper, but a student came up to the teacher after having a conflict with another student, went up to the teacher and said, um, <clears throat> unfortunately right now, me and so-and-so are not getting along. I'm going to take some private time to sit in the chill zone 
to collect myself and then I will return back to my activity. That's literally like <laughs> verbatim what the child said. It was wild to me. That's cool. Uh, <clears throat> but it was because their, their mental and emotional IQ, um, I don't want to say stronger, but it's affected at a different rate, right? Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and you might talk to an older generation and they might say, well, that kid needs grit and they need to learn how to problem solve with that other child and all this kind of stuff. And, and that's how an older generation may have, felt, may have felt they had to deal with it. But this generation is finding their own way and their own mental IQ to, to handle these situations. Yeah. Um, and the last thing that I will say is that um, uh, written information has a strong and it is going to be really important for us. It's not going to die. I don't think so the way that we're going to be getting information out to this generation is through visual content, right? Like it, it is going to be um, like those TikTok videos or whatever it might be that is quick to the point, breaks down the information is visually um, appealing for someone to watch. That is um, really how this generation is taking information. Uh, and you can see it by the way they talk to each other. It's like, I learned this on TikTok. Oh, I saw that on TikTok. This one video that I saw on Instagram that's how the conversation is going. That's the, it, the social media, these media platforms that are quick videos, um, even long form YouTube is still holding on pretty tight. But <clears throat> this is how information is getting passed to them. This is what's inspiring conversations. And this is what's inspiring um, their learning process, right? So you as a counselor, we'll get into it. But how can you use that media, that process for them so that they are um, having more fun at camp at a place that we typically say no technology, right? Keep keep that away. There, you know, every camp has its policies on it, but um, most camps are pretty like oh, let's let's cut down on the amount of screen time, you guys. So mm -hmm. um, those are a lot of the relationship things that I have seen, but also you know I put a little bit of research in and found and 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 definitely kind of hold true. You know, I'm using personal experience in it as well. Yeah, those those are really good, and I I think you know. I, I think about my one of my cousins who he would be a Gen Z, not not a not a Gen Alpha, but you know he was telling me about how much money he's made um, in Bitcoin in the, in the last three years. The, the guy the guy's made fifteen thousand dollars in in Bitcoin, and he's like in his young like early twenties right now. Um, and when you said that people start businesses online, I think that like this. Generation Gen Z included, but especially Gen Alpha, they're going to be thinking of pretty unconventional ways to do things, um, and and that's like participate in the economy. Um, you know, they won't settle for like status quo, and and you know wh where the economy is, where people are making just abysmal salaries based on how. Um, the cost of living being so high that there's, there's a breaking point that I think is certainly coming that um, this generation will certainly be um, if it hasn't happened yet, I think this is the generation for where there's going to be some real reevaluation of like, do we have to be doing things um, the way we've always done it? And, I, and it's certainly starting with millennials and, and Gen Z even, you know, look at the conversation around the four day work week. Um, but I, I think that's only going to be something or that we look, we working look at home at. and working in the office, yeah. right? That's yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, sure. it's, it's a great point too because it, if they're not going to make the income necessary, right? When when does the number of jobs that are that passive income online 
start to taper off? That's a right. huge question this generation is probably going to face is, you know, how many people can actually truly be a, I don't, I, I don't know what it's technically called. That's my generate. My issue is like a third party seller for Amazon, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. How much drop shipping can there really be? But yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, that cap and all of a sudden, you know, the infrastructure, like we know that infrastructure jobs are huge, like plumbers, electricians, these jobs are dropping like flies. Nobody's going to them. And we, and we see that Gen Z did not go towards these jobs. Mm-hmm. We, and we don't know if Gen Alpha will, it's too early to tell. Um, but those are huge things that our, our economy, our infrastructure, these things need. Um, and what's going to happen when those jobs are paying less than your computer that is just mining Bitcoin, right? right. Yeah, yeah. Right. 100%. Mine for, mine for Bitcoin and sit in Bali or crawl under someone's deck and fix their leaking plumbing. I can tell you which one most people <laughs> are picking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all day. Um, I, I think the one thing we, we didn't quite touch on yet um, you said mental health, which is which is uh, I know we've kind of talked about this a couple of times. I think literacy, like you said, that when it comes to mental health, is is at an all time high, which is cool. Which is cool. That that story of that student is pretty is pretty neat. I think, you know, I think that sometimes Gen Z, even millennials, like get a bad rap at like everyone being triggered by everything, all those boomer things that people say. Um, and I think that I understand where those come from in some cases, because I think that like resiliency is also something that has been majorly affected. But, you know, we know that from Dr. Deb Gilboa's research, she knows, she says that resiliency is a muscle. It's something that we can, we can build and we can grow. Um, the last thing that I think is important is that this will be, this statistically will be the most diverse generation yet across uh, in the world. And especially in North America, um, we're going to see it as as they grow, um, and I think what also happens, what that also means, is that they're we're going to have the highest expectation uh, when it comes to diversity within organizations and at camps. Um, their understanding uh, and their um, their literacy when it comes to gender will also be extremely advanced, and I and I think that it's it's important that we um, that we know that that more. Um, more kids and more of Gen Z are identifying somewhere on uh, somewhere um, identifying as LGBTQ plus in some uh, in some fashion more than other generations. And I think that the way that like you know I think Oliver I I think I can speak for both of us that you know in our generation we were at the tail end. Racism is still a big issue. Before I say this, <laughs> racism is a terrible scourge that is happening. And it is not a fixed issue, but it is certainly we have a different view on race um, than, you know, maybe the, the boomer generation really had to, like, grapple with it. And I feel like we're in that same grappling with gender right now that, you know, people still find it strange and all those, like, terrible things that people say about it. Um, and I think that Gen Alpha are, is going to view gender in the same way that we view race. Sorry, I'm, this is a very, like, my you know, white perspective here, but you know what I mean? Like we, we see race as like um, something that we're like diversity is, is really important to us. It's essential when it comes to that. Um, and celebrating diversity is extremely important. I think that, um, I think that there's some positive things coming when it comes to how we're viewing gender as a society as well. And that means that our organizations need to be ready for that as well. No, no doubt. Yeah. The, the diversity of our world. And I think, Touching about it a little bit earlier was that diversity is going to be so spread out uh, and then also trying to find a cognizant 
agreement for everybody, right? Because you want to honor everyone's uniqueness. Um, and then how do you find the answer for serving all those different diversities and all those different cultures and everything, right? Because what serves one culture might not serve another, but you want to honor all these different cultures. And I think problem solving that, you know, whether it's going to be us as millennials or Gen Z or even Gen Alphas, as they approach that difficult turn, it's a huge question in our day and age. And I love having this conversation with um, older generations because like I come from an immigrant family, right? Obviously um, coming to the United States, my family was Italian, came over um, pre-World War II. And when they arrived in the United States, the goal was to eliminate the culture that they came from, right? Um, right. right? Either A, you went and lived in Little Italy and it, you got to be in Little Italy with all the other Italians, or you lived in Connecticut where my, my family was and they eliminated the Italian culture. My grandmother couldn't speak Italian. They didn't teach her how to cook that many Italian foods. They made sure that she became integrated with the American society, right? That was the goal, right? Then it comes to my mom's generation that's continued on through her, right? And then it came to my generation as a millennial and I sit here with a lot, like I mean, my mom sits there with a lot of regret that I don't have that culture. I don't have that diversity that my family was so proud of once upon a time. Like we talk about being Italian American, all these different things. And, um, you know, we've brought some of it back with some of the food that we cook. And I try to learn Italian on my own, but, you know, I don't have that grandfather figure to, you know, teach me the basics of what I need. And it's going to be very interesting as we move down those generational lines of, you know, the importance of someone's ancestry, the importance of someone's background and the culture that comes with it and how that's interpreted and how that's accepted into our world. Because if you think about it, right, once upon a time, it was about eliminating culture. Mm. And now we're in a world where we want to bring that culture back. But the reason why I was eliminated in the first part was so that we could all get along. We could all be American. Right. And now, now we want to rebirth these diversities, right? But how do we make sure that with all this rebirth of diversity that we're getting back into our country and honoring and respecting that we still find a status quo of all, you know, being one together, right? Maybe it's not under the house of we're all American, right? But it's under some form of connection. How do we keep ourselves connected in that, right? And that's a, right. That's a question uh, Gen A is going to have to have to learn a little bit about so well well i think i think that i, I know we want to move on from this too but right. I, I think it's i think what is important is that more and more we're, we're seeing this already but i think that the, a simple like saying uh, an organization saying like diversity is our value like putting diversity as a core value i'm putting that in air quotes as an organization isn't going to and, and then just not doing anything like just doing a land acknowledgement and then doing nothing else to support like indigenous communities or indigenous stewardship like <laughs> that's not going to cut it anymore. It's already not cutting it. And uh, I think what's going to be important and what is good, I think that topics like diversity and gender are, and, and race and getting into the muddiness of, of those conversations. And, and, you know, I, I, I hope that I didn't, but if I, if I said something in the last segment that was considered offensive, uh, what, what I know is that there are people who are willing to have that conversation and call out when someone says something problematic. And um, I, I think that 
again, this this will maybe dovetail into our next topic a little bit here about how we just need to be good facilitators of those conversations and helping kids facilitate conversations like that sensitively and um, you know, also having the patience to to be called out when we say something that's that's um, not great or or to to push back on that. You know, um, so I I think that uh, renewal of of those or uh, uh, that those conversations are okay to have is I think is a good thing as long as we can just be patient with each other as we go forward too. And it's the same thing that's rocked history for all of time, right? We are doing with what our mental capacity and our social culture and our ability to enact, right? That's what our generation is trying to do in the best possible way, right? You know, it, we can look back on history, whether it's 100 or 200 years ago, the, the people who did some seriously wrong things, right? Unforgivable things. We're still doing it in the best, the best intentions, hopefully, for what they thought their world needed to serve. With that being said, sometimes those intentions still had racist and hateful and horrible um, like connotations to it, yeah. right? So when it comes time for us to pat like us to live and do what we need to do, I'm happy to know that at the very least we will trip on rocks along the way. But we are trying to create a world where diversity is honored where we are one we are one people working together for a better place like to care for our planet care for each other to create the best we can and sure in a hundred years someone's gonna look back at us and say man how did you how are you not able to do this why were you so behind on the time like we are right. doing like so person listening to this podcast in a hundred years we're doing <laughs> we're doing what we can all right yeah. we're doing what we can and i and it, you can't, I don't feel as though that's always, it is incriminatable. And I know that's not a word, but I'll make it up right now. Yeah. I, I think, I think what you're saying is that, or, or what I take away from that is that the value that we come back to, and this is why summer camp, why we believe I think in summer camp so much and why it's such an important place for kids. Um, it, it, as much as it is for, for boomers, as it is for gen alpha is that we, there, there often are themes and you can go back to our cult episode but, because the themes are very culty, like yeah, togetherness, working towards the common good that, that you should help each other. Some religious places, you know, treat others the way you'd like to be treated. All of those kind of terms are, are are good um on their face that they're they're good things now you know when you when there are things that interrupt that and there are intentions that interrupt that but i think the powerful thing about summer camp is that we're all here to have you know a good experience and take care of each other for the you know for the most part yeah all right so let's talk about how with the best intentions in mind um we can make camp an enriching experience for generation alpha so um i'll hit on mine really quickly and um, my first off is plan ahead of time, provide more reliable sources. Like I was talking about before this generation uh, or gen alpha and even gen Z, right. Um, fun for them has been provided. Entertainment has been provided. So how to play a game, you know, to get out there and play it. This, these are new things for some people coming to camp, right? Kids haven't really played. And that's a really kind of scary thing as a camp director. And you can see it in our schedules. We are, super, super over planning every detail. Like I, I told Matt before this podcast, like one of my jobs right now is just planning, putting together a schedule that literally is by the minute and every detail for 
how you set up, take down, what equipment you need, where that equipment is found, like everything is covered because I know that my staff and the kids that we're serving need that detail to make it work, right? To make sure that camp is fun because they haven't learned to play. I, so I think that's really important. So whether it, when you go to display these games, act out a demonstration, show them how it's done, right? Um, have them be a part of it, make it entertaining, use media, right? Uh, somebody brought up this great idea to me today that is, it, you know, we have these kids who are going to be coming to camp so, and we know we want to front load before we come to camp. We don't want to have to explain the rules constantly. So what if we're like, if we shoot a TikTok video explaining the rules to knockout, right? So before a kid comes to camp, they know the rule of knockout and they can just start playing and maybe they help another kid that maybe didn't watch the video, right? And then everyone knows how to play knockout before coming to camp. Now you're saving yourself this like really kind of awkward, like, oh, you don't know how to play knockout or you have 20 kids who have never played knockout before and they're 12 or 14 years old, right? Which is such a simple game. Like most, my generation was playing knockout by like five. And if I'm saying knockout right now and you're not thinking about the same thing I am, or you're trying to wonder what it is, or you're Google searching it, that's okay. Uh, So uh, using that media, trying to front load them before, and that's my next point was front load those activities. So what can you send out to kids beforehand to make them comfortable about coming to camp, right? The other thing is we talked about this COVID, the strong family unit, they're now coming to a place that they feel unsafe. So by front loading, contacting them ahead of time, send them information about what camp is, making stuff on social media that's accessible to them that they can scroll through, not just one or two videos on like, you know, maybe something that's happening at camp or anything, but fun, interactive stuff that kids can scroll through and go, oh, this is what happens at camp. This is what I'm getting into. Oh, this is what I'm going to get to do when I go there. It allows their brain to start going, placing them in those videos, placing them in those events, getting to do those activities, and even maybe thinking about themselves, um, like helping create those videos, right? Being a part of those videos. So that's a really important thing. The next thing I'm going to say is I talked about scheduling, but I think camp's pace is getting murky, right? I think it's a combination of slow moving and fast moving when it comes to your scheduling, right? Some people might tell you like make your schedule so that it's really quick, short periods, um, 20 minutes at a time, kids go to play basketball. All right, cool. They're only going to be entertained for 20 minutes at basketball. All right, let's move them to um, like cooking sweet. We're going to make this really quick marshmallow over the fire. Cool. Marshmallow's done. All right, let's get into soccer. We're going to play soccer for uh, 20 minutes and they're making their schedules quicker and faster. A lot of camps still are working off like an hour schedule that, uh, to my knowledge, not a lot of people are changing to those things. But within that hour, what's happening to a lot of kids and a lot of counselors now is they get there to basketball. And all it says on the schedule is basketball. And then the kids play basketball for five minutes if you can get them to play in the first place. And then you have another 50 minutes of kids just bored sitting on the basketball court, right? Especially with, you know, those like, 12, 13, 14-year-olds sometimes, um, you might get one or two kids that want to play and then others that sit on the side. So this is my advice to you, right, as you move into these activities, is you have one hour for basketball or, or something that's a little bit simpler like this, right? Don't do just one hour of basketball. Do one hour of five basketball challenges, right? First challenge, try to hit a basket um, without looking, right? Shoot it over your like over your head. Right. And the next challenge is playing a game of horse. Right. 
The next challenge is knockout, right? We have all these different games that we play and we move from one to the next. So there's always something new and entertaining for the kids. So those shorter attention spans, you can keep them invested because you just do, all right, we played that game. Let's play this game. All right, now let's play this game. And here's the thing. It's the same thing that we've always done when it came to like soccer practice, right? You start off with warmups and you do dribbles and you do a drill and then you end with your three-on-three basketball, your three-on-three soccer. So it's the same thing that we've always done, but now we have to plot it. We can't just show up to basketball. We need to intentionally know what we're doing before we do it. And I think that's really important. Also, Matt is telling me that he doesn't know what knockout is, and I've just said it about 20 times. So I will add it into my eggle and explain a little bit about how knockout works. But uh, <laughs> but Matt, is there anything that you are thinking about for making camp an enriching experience for Gen A that you want to make sure everyone knows or can do before we start this, this summer? For sure. I There's three kind of things I want to hit on. And I think my first one, as I went up on my soapbox and talked about AI earlier, I, I think the, the answer is that we need to... Um, role model and help kids through relationship developing and not being a therapist, but being a coach to help them process their emotions and their feelings. Um, because you know, they, they, if they have big feelings and they, you know, from that TikTok has taught them, um, all these things about their feelings that, you know, that I'm having a panic attack or I'm having anxiety or this person hates me. Some of those big feelings that are, are, you know, you know, they're feeling them. We want to be able to be able to respond kindly to that so that the answer for them isn't to leave the camp experience. I saw a lot of kids want to or go home this past summer that I really wish didn't. Um, but it was, it was clear to me that being at camp was so detrimental to them and the other people in their cabin that it was just the right fit for them. And our staff just, we didn't, we didn't have the skills to be able to, to help those kids. And I wish we did. So those are skills that I think we should double down on as counselors and frontline staff. Um, I think also when it comes to the programming, Oliver, I like, I like what you're talking about, trying to teach them beforehand um, and just being aware that our teaching, our teaching tactics or the things that we might have relied on as facilitators, you know, I can recall um, doing team building activities where I had to stand in one place for a long time because that was going to help the group succeed. I don't think that those are going to work as well anymore unless we really like scaffold the experience up to that. We can't just throw them in the deep end of a, um, a conflict like a team building thing can happen because they're just not, they're not, they're not going to be ready for it until we help them get there or some will be ready for it. But I think the ones that aren't ready for it, again, we're going to push them into that, that red zone a little bit too fast and it's just not going going to be helpful. Um, I think giving them ways to kind of customize their camp experience um, and, you know, being clear about what the guardrails are. So we tell them kind of what the limits of that creativity can be. But, you know, I think giving them some free choice will um, will help them. And then making sure, again, we have... So like, for instance, we, a while ago, we ran a free choice afternoon where kids could just go wherever they wanted uh, wherever they wanted at camp. Again, we gave them boundaries. We said, you have to be with a buddy the whole time. Uh, you have to check in halfway through. We're going to do like a cabin roll call, have snack and do cabin roll call halfway through. And if you don't know where to go, go to the dining hall and we'll have board games and a chill space in there. So we, we set up those guardrails for them so that we weren't leaving to chance a kid being like, oh, I don't know what to do. So I'm going to do something that I shouldn't. And we gave them lots of positive choices there. 
Um, and then I think especially just being very sensitive to the fact that they won't have their phones or technology or AI or those kinds of things. Again, just being really patient with that. I think um, no matter what your camp's policies are on staff and volunteers having their technology, I think being really aware that that's going to be hard to see someone, even if you're just using it for like music or something fun to amp up your program, um, be just really sensitive of that. And I think that we, again, that this is, it comes down to role modeling that it's okay to be like, you know, a little bit bored or it's okay to, um, to not know the answer to things and to ask them questions instead of coming up with answers and really getting them to think. My, my favorite thing to do with my nephew, who is certainly a gen alpha, he's six years old, is that when he asks me a question, I just ask it right back to him. And I say, what do you think? Or why, like why, or I ask him just questions all the time. Like, you know, why, why is there ice flowing down this river right now? Where did that ice come from? And, and I, I don't know the answer and I don't really care what the answer is. I just want to hear his little brain think about it um, because that's fun. And I think it, it challenges him to do something that he might not, you know, do on his own volition. So I think be sensitive, give them chances to customize, give them guardrails and just help them build those relationships and work through their feelings and just be patient as they do that. All great points. I love the idea of that guardrail. I, I think I might try to enact that take some strong counseling. So hats off to your staff for, you know, making sure that that open play was still well facilitated. At least I hope yeah. so. You might have a horror story. Here. No, no, it went really uh, well. Really well. Perfect. well, um, that is our show for today. I really loved talking about this one. I think even Matt and I were like, our brains were spending the whole time with things to think of, right. That might be coming up or you might have to handle um, I would love if somebody is super interested in this and wants to talk more Gen Alpha, I would love to talk to you about it. Um, and you can probably reach out to Matt and I in the show notes, find our contact information. Um, and then that way we can uh, talk more Gen Alpha, especially like ways to work with it. Cause I know that was a shorter piece, but you know, we're brainstorming on those things as well. So um, we would, I think we would love to continue that conversation with any of you, but uh, our show doesn't just end because we finished there. We also have this wonderful little spot uh, that we, previewed for you, but it's called Eggle. It's ever growing, ever learning. It's a trick, a tip, a game or a song for counselors to use to be better every day. Uh, and this isn't just us doing it for fun now. It's so great that people wanted to tell us, hey, keep doing that. So Matt, uh, tell us a little <laughs> bit about that sponsorship. Yeah, we are grateful that this season of First Class Counselors and the Eggles this year are sponsored by Ultimate Camp Resource. Ultimate Camp Resource is a directory of over a thousand free descriptions of games, skits, songs, and other activities to make your summer great. Uh, if you're interested in checking them out, you can uh, visit the show notes and we'll have the link to Ultimate Camp Resource there. And they also have a camp store if you want to get some cool camp stickers or clothes, uh, you can check it out at itsacampthing.com. Again, the link will be in our show notes. Okay, Oliver, you are up to deliver the ultimate camp resource resource for this episode. I am, and I found a cool story. Um, they have campfire stories in there, and they divide them up by different categories. There's scary stories, moral stories, uh, funny stories. So you can find the one that might be right for you in your cabin this summer. The one that I found was called The King of the Sharks, I'm not going to spoil any details, but I think it is a great story that you can read to your campers. The stories are all written out. You can take them out. You can adjust them as you see fit as well um, to kind of hit those notes that you want. So, you know, maybe it's not a story about uh, a mother and son, but it's about a family, you know. Um, but you can take a little bit of your own to do that. 
I would also suggest uh, th these are just the stories really typed out. Um, some of them have N Native American history to them. Um, some of them may have like uh, you know European history to them. I, I encourage you once you find that story to do the research and where that story comes from as well. Uh, yeah, because it's sure. a little bit it's a little bit cooler to you know use that detail. On a side note, there's also stories that really. They're like maybe American folklore, which we have a lot more access to change up as you want. So while the story might take place in Virginia, where your camp is located in Rhode Island, you might change it just so that it's a Rhode Island loca location to work for you. So uh, the story that I really enjoyed was The King of the Sharks. Um, I, I read through a couple of them. But this was, I think, one of my favorites. Um, and it is kind of a good story to uh, tell you why fishermen don't tell other fishermen where they fish. Um, so that's my little precursor for you before we go uh, do it. And uh, Matt said he didn't know what knockout was. So I'll put a little extra eggle in there for you. Um, but I know this is just a translation issue between Canadian and American. Oh, but okay. Okay. Knockout is a basketball game. You have two basketballs and you line up on the free throw line. And then there is a line behind you of everybody yep. else. Yep. The first person shoots the basketball. If they hit the basket they get to then give the ball to the next person in line. And then, then the first, the new first person in line gets to shoot as soon as the first shooter shoots. Wow. I'm starting to ruin how to describe this game. <laughs> um, but essentially is if the first person shoots the basketball fails to hit that basketball, hit, hit that shot, then the next person can <laughs> shoot. Right. <clears throat> now there are two basketball shooting at the basket at a time. If the first shooter gets their basketball into the hoop before the second shooter, they are safe and they just bring the basketball to the next person in line who's waiting to shoot. However, this is why it's called knockout. If the second shooter hits the basketball after the first shooter fails, right? They get in there and get it in. Then the first shooter is out of the game. They go and stand off to the side. They cheer everybody on for the rest of the game until there is only one person left. The pace is a little bit slow, and it starts to pick up as the game goes on. Um, it's important to note you don't have to wait turns really on shooting. The first person shoots. If they miss their shot, it is a free-for-all shooting there between the two shooters. Right. So it doesn't. it's not like one person shoots and you got to wait for the next. The other thing is if it gets a little nasty in some of these games, sometimes some camps, um, not all camps, but they allow you to get a little nasty, and sometimes people will like hit somebody else's ball away and they got to run and go and grab it. And, you know, or someone might hold the ball a little bit longer to give someone a shot. Um, this game is one of my favorites though. And I'll do it during staff training to teach my staff that the best counselors come in second place. Because the cool thing about this game is if you have that kid and the counselor who make it to the last two, it's really intense. But if you're a good counselor, you can flip it in just the right way to make sure that that kid wins. And that's a huge deal to that kid to beat yeah. that counselor. Um, so it's a great, great, great one to teach um, that, that all that, you know, warm fuzziness of, you know, coming in second place and the kid having that huge moment of triumph and having a, a magical moment over their counselor, which is great. So that's knockout. So you got two for me today. Um, thank you, ultimate camp resource. And uh, thank you, Matt, for adding that little extra one in there for today. What do you guys call it in Canada? Bump. The na the game Bump. is called Bump. Because you because when you when you hit the ball away, you bump the ball away. You bump one ball off the other and you bump it away. Oh, so in Canada that's a rule. You guys can you can bump someone else's ball anytime you I, want? 
I can't speak for all of Canada. I can speak to Westvale Public Elementary School, where I think I learned to play it the first time, and they called it There's Bump. A, but I'm, I'm pretty that, sure people call it Bump around here. I don't know. I don't know. Tell us in I the just comments. I just want to say that Canadians typically get a um, – you guys are super nice and kind. And now I learned that in one of my favorite games, you guys just arbitrarily allow the bumping. I mean, I don't know. You can be nice and you can play to win at the same time. We're just very gracious winners. That's all. <laughs> um, okay, my eggle for this episode, um, for those of you tuning in on YouTube, it's something I have on my desk. Um, it is a warm, fuzzy jar or a memento jar. Um, a lot of camps do this, so I'm sure you have something um, similar. But uh, we did this at the end of staff training where everyone got a jar. You put your name on a label and you got like glass markers to decorate your jar. Um, and then everyone took some time throughout the last day of camp and just wrote nice notes to each other. So I have some of those nice notes in here, um, but I also have some like trinkets and like uh, shrink art and just different things that people gave me over my time at my last camp um, that mean a lot to me. So, you know, sometimes I'll start my day when I sit down at my desk, I'll pull one of these out, read them um, and have a think on, you know, one of those positive moments. And I think it's a nice little grounding exercise that you can do as a counselor. That's why some people kind of put stuff up in their bunk sometimes or, you know, even in the off season, you can have one of these to kind of keep your camp batteries full. So I highly recommend a, a warm, fuzzy jar. And if, if your camp doesn't do that, then this is something you can totally do as a counselor on your own. Maybe in the staff lounge, you can make little, take um, uh, yogurt containers, like, I don't know, big, like, I don't know, American, like one liter, one gallon yogurt. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, you're fine, but you know what I, I mean? It. A little container and you could get everyone's name on them and like string them up or put them somewhere. A little like mailboxes. And they're only used for warm fuzzies, not cold and pricklies. Um, so a nice little thing for people. Waiting for you to say that cold prickly. They just... They go in tandem. Yeah. You know, what's a warm fuzzy without a cold prickly who eventually becomes a warm fuzzy? <laughs> I just think about like the warm fuzzy touches the cold prickly and then the cold prickly becomes a warm fuzzy because kindness mm. spreads. I like it. Good. Okay. All right. <laughs> it was a long episode, but it was a good one, you guys. And if you enjoyed it, please, we'd be so grateful you left us a review wherever you were listening to the podcast. Your ratings and reviews not only tell us what you like or don't like about the show, where to go, but also helps boost our rankings so that more people can discover those amazing things. And therefore, we make more first-class counselors out there. And also, don't forget that you can find all of our show notes at gocamp.pro slash FCC. There's lots of great stuff out there from the other podcasts, and you'll find the show notes where we will share some of our research for this episode and uh, the eggles and all that good stuff. So check that out at gocamp.pro slash FCC. Thanks for listening, friends. And remember, camp is camp, and camp's all good.